I think like the science of things or the math of things, I think it solidifies it, backs it up, helps us understand it. Whereas art is, is such a kind of foggy, gray, messy area that we don't always, we're not always able to make sense of it. And I mean, you know, Evan, I've read a lot of screenwriting books and what I've found with a lot of screen or writers who wrote screenwriting books is I'm like, yeah, your book is fine, but you're just <laughs> commenting on what happened and what you think happened and then telling me to do it as though it's a tool. But I'm like, I'm certain they didn't do it that way. I'm certain yeah. <laughs> some of the stuff that they did do it that way, but some of the stuff, no, there's no way they, they went, oh, I know I'll do this thing. This is Way of the Artists with Brandon Colby Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the challenges of the creative call so that you can claim your own path and make your life a work of art. Well, welcome one and all to Way of the Artist podcast. And we're, I don't know exactly where this one's going to go, but I mean, we know somewhat what we're talking about. This conversation that we had was inspired along some lines of we were talking about video games. And every now and then we talk about video games on here because that's an extremely creative medium. And we've been, I mean, we grew up with sort of the dawn of like video games in your living room and stuff like that, just to, to age us a little bit to, uh, to the audience. And yeah, we were talking about just how, how things have changed as the technology has expanded and grown and, you know, where there's been problems with that or, or and the trends that happen with that and what that does to creativity, how, it can, it's almost like a double-edged sword. It, like there's, it opens things up, but it can also really limit things. And then we were talking about how, oh, this parallels a lot, like even with what's going on in the movie industry as well. Lots of stuff, but sort of the, the I guess the theme of this conversation in many ways is about how when there's, that limitation can be, a catalyst to tremendous creativity and in fact one might argue that it's actually limitation that breeds the most amount of creativity so that's what we're getting into i'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of this yeah when we grew up <clears throat> there was limitations on video game development as to what could actually be done and the technology wasn't there so they the creators and the developers had to be very creative to try to figure out how to solve problems. And it, it because they were limited, it forced creativity because you gotta go, well, we wanna do this thing, can we do it? And then if we were to, how would we do it? Mm -hmm. And people literally developed a lot of technology to solve problems like this. Yeah. And so, you know what I think would be interesting to get into at some point during this conversation is how at a certain point, once we actually solve most all of our problems, we actually need to have self-imposed limitations on purpose mm -hmm. to inspire creativity, to force us to not just like take the easy road. Yeah. And I think there's a tendency with 
you know, with technology as it as it expands, there could probably be a tendency for, you know, companies and developers to go, well, let's just 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 do this. And and I'll, I'm always weary of, first of all, that saying, let's just do this, mm-hmm. like some minimizer before what you're about to do. Yeah. And so um, I don't know. It's an interesting thing because we are like OG gamers. <laughs> There's OG OG gamers. It's like real, like, you know, the yeah. 8-bit superstars. We were more like, I'd say we were more in the 16-bit. Like, we were a little well, bit 8-bit. A little bit 8-bit, because I remember when, yeah. like, the the first Nintendo. I mean, I know there was stuff that came before that. Like, there was the Atari, and I have vague memories of, like, people who had, like, Ataris. Yeah. But it wasn't really a big thing. It was, like, when the first Nintendo came out was when, like, that was a big, and that and was a big Sega. deal. And the yeah, yeah, and then the Sega came out after that, and then it was sort of off to the races from there. And so those were eight bit, and that and was then... a good time too because Sega and Nintendo were like Coke and Pepsi. Yeah, <laughs> they were really competing yeah. for market share, and it was really these two gaming systems that were like, you know, what do you like? Do you like Nintendo or do you like Sega? And there was like that kind of conversation that used to go on. Yeah, and then eventually, you know, uh, as as things evolved, the PlayStation entered the market. And I remember Panasonic entered the market. Too. Yeah, the 3DO. Yeah, I had that. <laughs> and um, I remember 3DO came out first and it was like, oh man, this is like mind-blowingly good at mm-hmm. the time. It just seems so amazing. Like now you look back and you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> that was garbage compared to what's now, right? Yeah. It seems like that. But PlayStation just took over. And then later it became the Xbox, which entered. And then it was an Xbox PlayStation thing. I think the reason why I'm bringing this up, though, is a certain amount of healthy competition as well with limitation can create a certain pressure and demand to perform, Mm -hmm. you know, and I know that's not necessarily what we're talking about here, but uh, but I mean, it's part of the conversation. conversation. It's part of the conversation because that that kind of that corporate uh, profit driven pressure, which like, look, I totally understand in order for it you know the the way that our structures and our systems work if if something isn't really profitable like then that means in in the world of video games that means well we are shutting down we can't make video games anymore so there is that there is that push and pull dynamic that that's always that's always there but also having to acknowledge that how if that thing takes too much it is driving the decisions and the and the creative decisions too much you end up with something that's really watered watered down that's really uh, derivative and contrived and you know all the stuff again this the same problem exists in pretty much any artistic medium that you can you can think of right mm-hmm. yet people just trying to replicate something that someone else did that was successful um taking something that was genuinely creative from somebody else and, and sort of piggybacking off of that. And, you know, that's a whole conversation about the difference between just trying to copy something or taking inspiration from something, which right. is, those are two completely, completely different things. But, um, well, there's a gray area because it's like, when, at what point are you standing on the shoulders of giants and being grateful for what was created and paved the way for you to do what you're going to do? And at what point are you really just 
trying to do what they did to try and get the rewards that they got. Yeah, it's trying to cash in. And you're just trying to cash in, right? And I think part of this conversation is about, like, I think you and I, ultimately, we're always kind of, we're, we're, we're I, what I would think of as, like, purists of, of art, right? We're, like, we're looking for the idealism in art, you mm -hmm. know? And, but we're very aware, and I think these conversations all began out of, where do we how do we manage to achieve the idealism of art but still also navigate this world of business and money and and practicality to get great art made right yeah. and that was how these conversations started you know it was where artistry meets, meets industry. industry yeah the and old then we, &E podcast yeah and we kind of evolved beyond that and we're like well let's talk more about let's focus more on the artist's journey yeah. But I think like this is one of those conversations where we have to pull in industry a little bit just to kind of navigate it because it's such a thorn in the side of creativity, just like creativity is such a thorn in the side of industry sometimes, you know, it's like, yeah. like, they're like, we just want to make this thing and print money. And it's like, yeah, but you got to be creative and there's fans and they care. And then there's this, the creativity. It's like, why can't they just do this? And it's like, well, because there's not enough of a market for that. And they don't, they don't know if it's bankable. And so it's too much of a risk to invest in it, you yeah. know? And so these things are definitely at play, I think, in this conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and you find that that in trying to deal with with that thing there has to be creativity right right totally. it's just like oh yeah. there's this pressure here so how can we still do this thing that we want to do yeah and and finding your way that way and yeah, yeah i think you're right for the most part we're in that i guess yeah purists camp I think of so. well, we lean conversation we lean more towards artistry than we would i'd say industry yeah in it's it's we're yeah. we're talking about like sort of the high we, we try and always aim towards the highest aims of of art you know the philosoph highest philosophical aims of art and, and its function in in the world but at the same time it's like well let's not be naive about these other things right like we try and go as high as we can possibly go right and again the creativity that's required sometimes to just do that coming back around to this whole thing of video games and how that plays into it you know i want to talk i guess a little bit about how in many ways and i think that the, the trend is is changing because of new ways of people being able to create games and and access and distribute them to it's it i think there's like some balance that's starting to be restored but in my mind there's been this interesting journey for this medium of video games which is a pretty new one when you really think about it like it hasn't been around for that long and i was telling you before that one of my favorite times was the the playstation 2 era right which was i mean i don't know when was that early 2000s i think one of my favorite eras that was like the the second generation of like 3d games so everyone's starting to get a handle on that kind of a thing i think the first xbox came around then as well and to me, it was one of my favorites because there was just this explosive 
time of creativity in video games there there was the capacity to do things that couldn't be done before but the cost of making games and development wasn't so crazy that companies big companies were taking risks they were they were throwing stuff out there there, there was this real sense of hey that's a cool idea all right let's let's give it a shot let's let's put it out there and then there came this time i think sort of that playstation 3 xbox 360 era and even this last one of like playstation 4 and stuff where development costs got so high and then the bar got set in certain areas so high as well and everyone trying to make that bar everyone trying to to hit these big trends like big open world games and highly cinematic experiences and trying to create that and it became so expensive to do that and as a result the industry overall started to become a lot less risk-taking a lot like there was there was a lot more uh, safer choices i guess a lot more copying going on but there's also been this movement of now more independent developers because they don't necessarily need a big person to help them print discs and stuff like that and, and sh get because you don't need that physical media anymore yeah like, that's true you know you online your game can go up there and people can can play it and it's you don't have gatekeeping i guess in the same way or the barrier of entry for independent creators is not as high so you've got a lot of creativity happening in that end but in the sort of the bigger players in the industry it seems like creativity has really took a like it really took a hit yeah I, well you know it, it took a hit in certain areas i would say so there's there never used to be when we started gaming there was there wasn't this idea of a triple a game that wasn't a mm. thing and i don't know when that began i i mean you know someone might know this better than me but i would imagine it definitely was prevalent during the playstation 3 xbox 360 era like yeah. that's definitely when that type of thing normalized yeah if it was present in in like the playstation 2 area uh, like i suppose that's possible but it basically these AAA games are these big massive studios that have all the money they're like the blockbuster movies of video games and a AAA game has expectations to 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 be of a certain quality to you know it's like the top tier of video games right yeah it doesn't need to just look pretty but it also needs to play yeah. amazingly well and all of it no yeah. room for bugs it's supposed to be polished and whatever yeah and 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 so now also just speaking on the polished part triple a games are having trouble launching at a polished project like like yeah. finished project because they're the demand and the expectation you're seeing these games sometimes get rushed and come out and they're buggy and they're they're not sorted yeah. and people are really pissed off because like, they paid minute, a lot of money for I'm paying them. premium prices i want a premium game you know yeah. and then to, to speak on the distribution thing uh i think it's just good to get all this stuff out of the way so we can yeah. get into the art of it but uh things like steam and other companies like that who 
basically have made it for independent developers is like, hey, there's this indie game and we got this fan site where everybody's kind of, you can just be like, hey, I heard about this game and fans can get behind it mm-hmm. and cheer it on and rally it before it's even made. Yeah. And people can go, I like this and they save it and they put it on their profile. And so that gives these these indie developers a lot of the time promise in like, hey, look at this. We got all these people that are interested in this game. And so that creates an interesting thing because before when video games were made, they would come up with an idea. I mean, like I might not have everything, know everything about this, but they'd come up with an idea. They'd start development on it. They'd show their wares a little bit. They'd get people pumped and people were like, this game looks good. I'm definitely getting this game. And then there would kind of be this momentum. Mm -hmm. But now things work a little bit differently where developers kind of can show, hey, we're thinking of developing this type of game and here's, and we can quickly give you some visuals of what it looks like. And people, if they're into it, they can actually get backing and, and figure out how to get this thing made because they can Mm -hmm. show people would buy this or at least they're showing interest in this game before it's even developed yeah um which has made which has made things a little bit different so like there is a kind of a an ability to get the fans involved early in the process Mm -hmm. and where i think triple a fails in their creativity is they forget to listen to the fans when they often when they make sequels that's when they stop, they go, oh, everyone seemed to like this. Let's pump out some more and let's make it make more money and let's like make it uh, one of those things where you have to buy shit to keep playing the game. And they, they try and do that and the fans go, no, 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 I don't like this. Yeah. And there's certain games like, you know, we were talking about this before, like uh, if, if, if anyone's interested, they could look into this. But like, for example, the Ghost Recon series. Um, they made Wildlands, which wasn't perfect when it came out, but became a, like a, the people who are fans of this game became loyal. Like if you weren't loyal, you became loyal. There were people who was like, loved this game. And then they released, okay, we're, we're going to release the next one, the sequel called Breakpoint. And the way they marketed it sound awesome. But when it came out, they didn't honor their marketing. It was really just a ploy to get people pumped mm-hmm. and people were pissed and also it was one of those things where they tried to kind of exploit the fanship and get people to pay money to get stuff yeah and people just rejected it like flat out some people were die hard and they were like no guys it's still good like it's okay and they're you know they're they're rescuing this like almost dead heartbeat of a game what's the company it's ubisoft ubisoft yeah to ubisoft's credit they went, we fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> People clearly are not happy and we just killed the brand. And they went and they, for the most part, fixed the game. Yeah. But they they definitely damaged the reputation of that that game. Like people now who are loyal fans like myself of that franchise, the next game they make, we're tippy-toeing in. Whereas yeah. when Breakpoint, they had us running in, head yeah. first, eyes closed, totally trusting. But they they kicked us in the teeth when we got in the door. Mm-hmm. And now we're all like, most of us at least, are kind of like, mm, you better get it right this time. And I'm not just going to trust you. You're going to yeah. have to prove it to me. Um, and so I feel like there's a, there's a certain amount of, no matter how big you get, you have to listen to the fans and you have to understand not just what they like, but why they like what they like. Yeah. And that's, I think, something that's very, maybe it's not entirely unique, but the video game industry is one where that is 
more important than it is in other mediums, right? Like that, that relationship that you have with your fans because yeah, yeah, you're probably right about because that. I think yeah. it's the way that the way that you interact with a video game is very different from the way that you interact with a movie or a television show or uh, an album or something like that or a piece of art like there is a level there is an interaction there right but there's a, a very different level of interaction with a video game because you're not as much of a passive you're not as much of a passive participant in it, right? Like you're actually interacting with this, this virtual space, right? So there's this, there is that relationship that you have with your fans. The only thing that I was thinking of that's comparable to that is that I can think of is with like a movie franchise or a, or a something, you take something like star Wars, which is something else okay, we were talking about too, that right? That would be an exception. That would yeah. be an exception. It's yeah. like you're dealing with a beloved franchise, right? And so that opportunity to exploit the fan base is high, mm -hmm. right? And, and is something that has to be carefully navigated and how you're treating that. But with video games, that's in that's, built in especially since there's a lot of sequels that are made or even studios i think that's a very interesting thing as well i i think that for the most part we don't really think about the studio as as audience members of a of a movie you know at least i don't think about that particularly often about who the studio is i'm thinking about who who directed it or who wrote it, who's in it. You know, I'm thinking about those things, like whoever the, the studio is that made it, I don't, doesn't really matter to me. But the video game industry is also another one where people, like fans are like, they're fans of studios. They're fans of like right. the games that this company is making, right? So there's, there's some interesting aspects that are a little bit different in, in the video game industry and, and how things are created there than than in others which is something that i've never really considered before but i think is a fascinating part of this but you well you brought something up earlier before we started recording which was like for example naughty dog as a studio uh developer right and it's like um there is a certain amount of like quality expectation and and just kind of like a certain point of almost pride to be a part of that right and what they're creating mm -hmm. and everything they do tends to come out with a certain kind of it's like you can trust it it's mm -hmm. like and uh the one thing i really like about them is that they've built a certain amount of trust whereas like i i'm not really concerned about being let down Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like for the most part, I'm going to, I'm going to get something that's kind of cool. That's that there's been care and interest put into it, which I think is an important part of this conversation too, is that with creativity, great creativity comes great care. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to really think about is if you're, if you're an artist or somebody trying to build something or make something is that your level of care will often help you find the little details that make the biggest difference. 
and they are little details and the people who don't care they tend to miss the little details and you see this in mm -hmm. movies you probably hear it in songs and see it in paintings and all sorts of stuff but it's like a lot of the time I find these, these little things that someone noticed and they make such a big difference but in the scheme of it all they don't seem like they're that big but they actually make a massive difference mm -hmm. and like uh, to go back to my example you know for example uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, which was the first one, and then the sequel, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, this open world game. In uh, Ghost Ghost Recon Wildlands, you know, when you ride a motorcycle, you you there's this camera. And like I'm a filmmaker, I love this shit. But it's not even <laughs> just that. It's not just because I appreciate the way they did it. But when you're riding a motorcycle, it does this like zoom in on you almost, and like you're cornering, and you feel like this rattle. Like it just you just feel in it. You feel like you're yeah. on a motorcycle going around a dirt road. Whereas in the breakpoint, they I don't know who made this decision, but they pulled the camera back. They don't really zoom in. There's no real rattle. You're not in there and you're taking a corner and it, it feels like you're on a, a slow moped and you're supposed to be on this super bike or this really powerful bike, right? And that's, does that make a difference in the story? Like, does it change the world necessarily in the context of what the characters are going through? No, but experientially, mm -hmm it ruins like i don't even want to get on a motorcycle in that game it, it pisses me off so yeah. much um whereas in the first one sometimes i'll just be like you know what i just want to hop on a motorcycle and go Rip right around this area because it's fun yeah and that's the thing is like you're talking about how we interact with video games differently sometimes video games we're not playing them because we're trying to complete the mission or do the story we're just like i just and especially open world i just want to open up this world and I want to play in the sandbox of this world. Yeah. And so uh, the reason why I bring this example up is because Ghost Recon Wildlands, I find I like to open that game up every now and then and just play in the sandbox world. Whereas with Ghost Recon Breakpoint, because they chanced on certain things and they cut corners and they didn't think about the little things that care, mm -hmm. I don't find that world as fun to go explore and play around in. For no other point than just to have some fun. And we talk about this on the podcast, you know, and video games have a key part of this, the the law of play. Mm. That's the thing that video games have. And when when developers cut corners on play and they just go, it's just about the story, it's just about, you know, doing the thing, they forget that some of us are not always playing video games to do the thing. We're doing it to play. Yeah. For no other point than just to have fun, maybe kill some time, maybe whatever. But when you when you when you cut corners on play and you don't value play, it it for as a gamer, it becomes like you feel cheated. Yeah. You know? Well, I, so coming back around to this whole idea of limitation, because in so many ways I see thing of limitation plays at so many levels of video games as well as this sort of history of video games that expanding all the way up to today and you know there's this aspect of technology right as our technology you can make things look more and more realistic and more and more like like real life and there's fewer limitations on a technical level as to what you can do. And that opens up so many possibilities, but at the same time, it's kind of like 
how in movies right now there's like why is everything just like a like a cg bukkake in my <laughs> face right like it's it's wow like it's just so it's just too much reliance on on that that flash and, and you know, like and hey don't get me wrong there's nothing wrong with it there's nothing inherently wrong with it but if you're missing out on the substance right so like in movies you say like well there's like no there's barely any story there's barely any character it's just like a big cg fest going off where i can't even i i, I don't even know what i'm looking at half of the time yeah right you miss on things like that video games are kind of the same way where it's we have no we can do all of this stuff but then you've forgotten that hey i'm interacting with this thing right and i'm going to be doing things in this world that you've created i'm having an experience of it and the gameplay you can't forget about the gameplay and so you will see that today there are developers who they go back to doing something that looks like an old 8-bit, 16-bit game from something that, you know, came out back in the 90s or something like that. It, it looks like that. You put a limitation yeah. on what you're doing with the technology, right? It's not just about trying to make everything look photorealistic, right? Because I think that can become too much of a distraction. It can become too much of a, of a reliance upon just that wow factor that initial wow factor but it can be so empty well you can pick something up that was made by three guys in a garage you know that they've limited themselves to what they're going to do they're just like okay we're not going to try and do something like that but we are going to do this thing that's like an old 2d side scroller that has an old school aesthetic to it and it's going to have a cool art style to it but the gameplay is going to be so tight and mm -hmm. you're going to and there's these little cult games that that come out that way and people are like you've got to play this oh my god it feels so good mm -hmm. it's so much fun blah 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 blah. it doesn't have to do all of these kinds of crazy things it can be something very similar i was just showing you a trailer for a game that got it was called it's called baby steps and it's essentially a walking simulator and and it looks very funny and comedic and 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 it's graphically not the most visually impressive thing that you've ever seen but you start watching this thing and 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 what you have to do in in the game and it's, it's like this looks fascinating this looks so interesting and it actually looks like a ton of fun mm -hmm. where you just literally from what I can tell, it looks like you're you have to control e each leg individually and just try to navigate <laughs> navigate the world. And you just go. I mean, it doesn't sound that interesting in many ways, but you see it in action. It's like, oh, that actually looks like it's kind of fun. Yeah. But I mean, it's like, what is? That's the whole thing. Is like, you don't need some kind of a crazy, some sort of crazy uh, mechanic in order to make something fun and interesting you do something just simple right you you do something that's limited in its scope and you often can do something so so wonderful and and creative with it and one other thing i'll say as well this is i guess kind of 
a side note, but another area of limitation is in times when developers couldn't, they didn't just have all of this computational horsepower to, to do all of these incredible things, but they still wanted to achieve certain effects visually. You know, part of the reason why certain technologies exist are because of limitations right mm -hmm. some programmer designer had to figure out, it's like okay how are we gonna do this right? right we want this to you know we want this to have like a want this to be foggy and crazy and stuff like that and we don't have the power to do how they do this in the movies so how are we going to do this for a video game player and they have to come up with creative solutions to create these effects to to do these things and and it ends up driving a lot of the technologies that that get made and, and implemented and stuff like that and, and come up with with ideas that we still have today because we're like, oh, well, this this achieves the effect for for cheaper than if we were to just throw everything at it. Right. Like we can do this a lot more efficiently through this this technology that was only created because we couldn't do it this way right, before, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I I hear you. I mean, I think one of the things is, is that the way they solved problems bred the creativity for what people kind of take for granted today. And we, you know, like, well, I don't know, like, uh, for example, like the game Metal Gear Solid when that came out. Oh, man. Loved it. Yeah, it was uh, It was really, like, I mean, I'm not talking about the first ones. Even the first ones, actually, before it became big, they came out on Nintendo. But it was the PlayStation, I think, one, where it where it kind of, and it became this cult classic game. It's yeah. just, the fan base was massive. It was, a, it's, it's a really big, it was a yeah. really big thing. And they're still making them today. Yeah. yeah. And, um you know, and they're like, it's interesting because they'll re-release like they're they'll re-release like Metal Gear Solid games and they'll be like, oh, we we're re-releasing it and we're doing it and people still buy it because it has this quality to it. But one of the things about that game was you you would hide next to a wall and you could kind of like hide against the wall and you could look around the corner. And this became such a thing in games, whereas like other games started to use this because yeah. it was such a cool way to like do the game. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is like games today, for example, like, you know, if you play any like military type shooter games or any type of stealthy sneaking games, you probably find that your character can pin up against a wall, put their shoulder against the wall and like look around a corner or hide behind a corner. That was all originated from this game, Metal Gear Solid. Yeah. That was the that was the the original kind of game where that really that idea flourished, and so, like I think sometimes with games we we're not always like like the the way they're doing a game is they're not thinking experientially. Like Hideo Kojima, who was the guy who created that whole franchise, one of the things that I've always appreciated about him as a developer is he very much focused on experience or experiential gameplay. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes when we're playing a game, you know, you can tell when the developer wasn't thinking experientially, they were mm -hmm. thinking practical and like kind of more like, how do I just 
just make this thing do what I want it to do. Whereas like, for example, I'll go back to this Ghost Recon thing, the motorcycle. In, in Wildlands, it's experiential. In mm -hmm. Breakpoint, it's just practical. It's just like, yeah. it's my ride from A to B faster than walking. And it's like, yeah, but, you know, we talk about this as like artists. It's not just about where you're getting to. It's not from A to B and that's all that matters. It's what's in between A and B. And the thing that I loved about Wildlands is it felt like they cared about my experience from A to B. Mm -hmm. And really, that's more of my gameplay. Not just getting from mission A to mission B and then doing those two missions. What about that time of travel? Yeah. You know, it matters it's, and it makes a difference. Yeah. Hey, everybody, this is Evan. And this episode is brought to you by my book. Yes, I recently released a book called The Actor's Awakening, Connecting Spirituality to Craft. Expand yourself as an actor and your craft through a spiritual perspective. Take a journey that will explore universal philosophies and insights to help you understand human nature in a profound way and develop practices to take your work to another level. Again, that's The Actor's Awakening, Connecting Spirituality to Craft, available on Kindle and paperback on Amazon. And as always, if you like the show, please subscribe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. experience is is maybe, I mean, it's not just that for for video games. Like, I remember one of the the first screenplay book I ever read, uh, How to Write a Great Movie by Jeff Kitchen, I believe is, I know that the author name is right. I think that's the right name of the book Kitchener as well. Kitchener or Kitchen? I think it's just Kitchen. Okay. And the I, I believe the first question that he asks is, He's like, you should ask this about, you know, when you have some idea for whatever story it is that you're about to write, the first question you should ask yourself is, what, what is the, the feeling? What is the experience that I want my audience to walk out of that movie theater with? Like, as if, imagine yourself, like, as if you were standing outside of the theater where your movie just played and the people are coming out. Like, what do you want? Mm -hmm. What do you want the feeling to be from them when they're coming out of it, right? And so that's very much, I think that's so true about pretty much any art form that there is. I, I think that video games just have a very unique sort of, they have a unique take on that just because of that level of interactivity from its audience, right? But experience has to be that front and center thing. And if you think about it, you know, it really is, that's, an aspect of limitation that you're putting on yourself, right? And it's like, okay, well, what's the experience that I really want? You know, and you, and you really try and figure out what's the core of that thing. And the reason is that because that, that focus, we can call it focus, but it's, we could also call it limitation, right? And that's there for a reason because like, oh, well, I want them to have this experience and this experience and this and this and this and this. And, this. and suddenly it's just, it's so all over the place that you're probably not going to really succeed at any of them. Mm, that's a good point. Right? You're, you're yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. do, you're trying to do too much. You're trying to do too much. Yeah. Right. Which is like about getting focused and focused Narrow and focused. It in. Yeah. And yeah. another thing in something in what you're saying as well, thinking about storytelling is part of storytelling. It's like, it's not just the story that you're telling. It's, the way that you're telling the story, right? And that's all part of that experience, part of it as well, that informs so much of the experience. And so it's like that that way that how you're doing it 
is part of that limitation because you're not saying, oh, I'm going to try and tell them it through through this style and, and then I'm going to do this and this and this. And it starts to become completely incoherent, right? As, as an audience member, as someone who's participating in it, right? It's like you have to, you give us no way in to the thing. It, it becomes just too, too chaotic, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's part of, mm. of what limitation is, is about and self-imposed limitation on what you're doing. And yeah. it is interesting because it's just dawning on me that so much of the stuff that we call like the tools and the techniques in art are actually limitations, right? Like they are these self-imposed limitations that we, we put onto it so that we can really try and understand what something is is about because otherwise it's just so all over the place mm-hmm. that it doesn't really say anything it doesn't communicate anything it doesn't translate anything to its audience okay i had an insight so you're talking about tools and techniques techniques often help you solve a problem and that's interesting because you recognize that the problem is evident and i feel like where creativity sometimes fails is that the creator doesn't recognize that there's a problem being solved. And so then by over kind of like looking over that, they forget like why this thing was done. For example, I'm talking about pinning your back against the wall in a video game and looking around the corner as, as you know, in the stealth world um, of say Metal Gear Solid, this solved the problem of I can see around the corner, they can't see me and this gives me a certain experience, right? Um, of I know where they are, but they don't know where I am, right? And that's kind of the experience you're having. And if, you know, and so you're being careful not to expose yourself. Whereas other developers, they're like, this looks great. People seem to like this. Let's have them pin their back against the wall. But they forget about why are you pinning your back against the wall? What's the, mm-hmm. what is that, what is that doing? Why is that happening? And, and you know, um, I was playing a, I was playing a game the other day. I was playing a, a remake of Resident Evil. So I played through Resident Evil 2 a a while back, and then I played through Resident Evil 3. Now, these games were big, but they've been remade, and the way they remade them was fantastic. In Resident Evil 2, one of the things that they did, which was really interesting, is so you have this, like, it's dark, and you're in this, like, old police station, for example, and the lights and the power out, and you're walking around these corners, (laughs) and you got this flashlight, and so when you're looking and you can see a hallway that's like jetting out right or left. Your light flashes forward, but it casts this hard shadow around that hallway. So when you're peeking around the hallway, you can't really see outside of your light source. And so there's this darkness. And so as you're peeking around, it's scary and it's creepy. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see something, you're like, ah, and it came out of nowhere, right? But yeah. you're you're discovering it, you're experiencing it. And so in two, it was very effective. But in, in you see the limitations in three because in three, you you kind of leave the city and the confines of these darker alleys and you end up kind of in these like science type buildings where it's like futuristic. It becomes more of an action movie and you lose this experience where mm-hmm. you're peeking around a corner and you can't really see what's there. It starts to become very bright and opened and... You know, it's about explosions and whatever. Yeah. And the thing is, is that experientially, it's just not as good. Right. But you get to kill more baddies and it's kind of fun that way. But but the, the experience of two is is monumentally better for mm-hmm. me, I found. And so 
one of the things about two, Resident Evil Two, I'm talking about, was that they didn't have the ability to do these big action sequences like they did when when the technology advanced to three. So three, yeah. they started going, "Hey, we can do these big baddies. We can do this this cool stuff." But it, but I think in doing that, they lost sight a bit of the experience that say one and two created. Yeah. And as the franchise goes on, you you see this more and more kind of happen. Um, and 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 I think that in it, later, like with uh, for example, I'm talking about one franchise here, but Resident Evil say seven, which was Biohazard. They, they kind of changed the dynamic again, but they went back a little bit more to that experience. And I found that there were moments in that game where I was like, oh, this is reminiscent of the beginning of, of why I like mm -hmm. this game so much, because it's really legitimately creepy when they do it properly. Yeah. You know, and, it, and that's kind of a bit of the that's what I'm going for a little bit. You know, yeah, it's interesting yeah. because just thinking of technology, I'm just thinking about like the technology driving what you're you're talking about and it's because yeah it, it's as the i i've never really played the resident evil games but I, I i'm aware of them and i've seen them and and whatnot and it's like you know that i remember watching my brother play the first one and you know part of the creepiness about it you know it's very it was like a playstation one game oh yeah and the view was the view and yeah. also you only could see the room that you are in and so if you walk through a door you know it would the this the screen would would like go dark and then the screen would open up and there might suddenly be like a zombie or some creature on the other end of it and go oh shit right and so it was there was this this creepy ominous feeling to the whole thing and with these remakes that that they do it's it's like that thing that you're describing of the light right it's almost like they were able to, they they got technology so that they could do that in a new way mm -hmm. right in a very realistic way where it's your flashlight is creating these shadows in the place that you're in and so you're it's part of that experience that made people love the original thing right but then at the same time that technology also opened up this place like, oh, we can do this big, crazy yeah. thing. And it's like, well, that's that's kind of not really necessarily why people come to play this game. Right. Right. But you're doing it because you can. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that that's, I think, a problem in general with our relationship as human beings with technology is like just because we can doesn't necessarily mean that we should mm -hmm. do it right and one other thing this might i mean it's related to the conversation that we're having but another thing that that came to mind for me was is you know and i i'm i'm just a you know i'm just a little lay person <laughs> on this whole thing but that's also part of how i see a lot of the problems with modern movies today is just there's just too much there's too much money there's too much money going into these movies that basically don't put any limitation on what you can achieve essentially like there's really not much if in when you think of like some of the most of the movies that come out these days with the budgets that they have 
what limitation do they really have in terms of what they can do? Interestingly enough, movies are generally just not as good. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they're just not telling as compelling stories as, as they used to. And I would be fascinated just as an experiment. You know, like what if the big studios all did a little project where they said, <laughs> okay, you know what? What if for the next couple of years, we're going to hand out $10 million for a budget for a film, right? The marketing, maybe yeah, it goes beyond that. But as far as the production itself, $10 million, I'm going to make 10 of them, right? And whoever's, you know, it could be pretty big directors or new coming directors or whatever it is. It's like, that's your budget and make something. That limitation of budget, I'd be fascinated to see the kind of creativity that emerges from it, the kinds of storytelling that would emerge from it when you can't rely on spectacle and and effects to interest people in what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I bet you... I bet you they would get so many people interested in that thing. You would get lots of big directors who'd be like, yeah, sure. And, and actors who would just be like, shit, yeah, let's do this. Let's let's do let's find some really great scripts and some really great stories. And let's pump these things out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Because something happens when you don't have all of this stuff to rely upon. you got to really make sure that all of these fundamental things are together yeah yeah well that's i mean that's a great idea i i would not be surprised that that actually does happen because i do think that at some level yeah probably yeah i do think there's a certain amount of the old the system is not is not working as as much as 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 some people would like it's not as reliable as some people would like and you know i remember 10 years ago going down to the american film market and they were already talking about you know they were already talking about how they're figuring out the averages of you know statistically what people will see and there's there's all this math done and it is it's like almost this kind of predictable safe you know, this is what would make money. This is what wouldn't make money. And then decisions were already, and this is probably even over 10 years ago, but decisions were already being navigated down that road mm-hmm. of let's just make things that are a sure thing. And yeah. I think what ends up happening is you commoditize art and you try to turn it into this almost like um, this science more than an art. And it, 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 it eventually it fails you. Like the, mm-hmm. the bottom falls out because, you know, and this has been a topic of our discussion recently about how art plays such a big part in our life and our communication and how we actually do get things and learn things is through the art of it, not through necessarily through the science of it. But I think like the science of things or the math of things, I think it solidifies it, backs it up, helps us understand it. Whereas art is, is such a kind of foggy, gray, messy area that we don't always, we're not always able to make sense of it. And I mean, you know, Evan, I've read a lot of screenwriting books and what I've found with a lot of screen or writers who wrote screenwriting books is I'm like, yeah, your book is fine, but you're just <laughs> commenting on what 
happened and what you think happened and then telling me to do it as though it's a tool but I'm like, I'm certain they didn't do it that way. I'm certain yeah. <laughs> some of the stuff that they did do it that way, but some of the stuff, no, there's no way they, they went, oh, I know I'll do this thing. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is what happens with, and I'm seeing this more and more with writers because, you know, I have a pretty good pulse on this. But writers, I can see them using this technique to do this thing. And it's like, yeah, but you're not doing the technique as to why the technique exists. Mm-hmm. You're doing it because someone told you in a screenwriting book, you know, there's a three-act structure and da-da-da. Yeah. It's like, yes, there is. But you're missing why why we have a three-act structure, five-act yeah. structure, seven-act structure, and so on. Why do we do this? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're doing it because it's almost like, well, this is how you tell a story. And it's like, yeah. you know what? You're not wrong. But you're missing some part of this as to why it exists. Yeah. You know? And then there's like, um, there's all sorts of things where it's like, uh, just because it's something goes a certain way doesn't mean it has to go another way. So like, what I mean is I was like, I was watching an episode of say community today and I was just like kind of, you know, casually watching it in the background. And there's this moment where, um, one of the guys is messaging his friend and he keeps repeating the message. I'll meet you at the, the flagpole in like 10 minutes. And then he's like, no, no, I'm going to redo it. I'll meet you at the flagpole. And he keeps doing it. It's kind of silly. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then at one point, uh, Jeff steps in and he's like, okay, just let me do it. And he does it. And then he's like, and then it's the, and then you think it's going to end. He's like, was that too mean? And then he does it again and he does yeah. it a nice way. And the thing is, is every time they're about to do it, I'm like, how are they going to do it? And I and I caught myself, and and then it ends, and you just and you kind of see that they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. But it ended, and I was like, man, I just noted. I'm like, I didn't know what they were going to do next. I knew they were going to do another message, but but it was so fascinating to see them kind of work it out. And yeah. the thing is, is that the reason why that was so engaging was because it was unpredictable in its predictability. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like with story, a lot of the time, it's predictable in its predictability. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You need it to be unpredictable in its predictability. Yes, I know you're going to give me a three-act structure. That's predictable. But it needs to be unpredictable in the predictability of that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you you lose me. I become disengaged and it becomes just nothing. Yeah, it's like I don't. We don't want to see the underpinnings that went into it. Yeah. Right. Like that's it's it's just sort of it ru- it breaks the illusion. It breaks the the involvement with what's happening. Right. And just doing it right, you you you. I know what you're gonna do because you know what you're gonna do. Like, you're like I know I've got the screenwriting book on da 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 da, and I'm doing yeah. and I'm like yeah, and I can see you doing paint by numbers creativity here whereas like if you're really creating you're using that but then you're going to be surprised because you're going to let it show you something and i know that like people who aren't like in the arts they probably find that hard to grab onto and it is hard to grab onto yeah but that's why it's so that's why it's so important is that you 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 like use it to a point and then you have to let go of it Mm mm-hmm and that's not necessarily just a struggle for maybe people who aren't in artistic disciplines to to wrestle with. Like that's that is 
in so many ways one of the struggles of artists right we're just like oh i'm wrestling between this this stuff of 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 the the control and the and the unpredictability the the this thing that also has a life of its own right because if i if i simply just try to wrestle and wrangle this thing and just control it too much it becomes that that color by numbers thing it mm -hmm. becomes too safe and and it becomes very uninteresting as an artist because it it's typically it's because it becomes a contrived thing when you try and control it too much but it's when there's that element of of unpredictability that you introduce into the structure again this is that whole thing of limitation right like you're you're bringing that you're bringing that sort of unpredictable force that spontaneous force into a context that you work with like it, art is itself every artistic medium is a limitation mm -hmm. right it's this art is i mean it is trying to express many different kinds of things, but it's art is, is always trying to is, is trying to wake us up, I guess, to some extent, um, to some sort of notion about what it is to, to be human and to be alive or, or to, to our connectedness, all of these things like art in its highest forms, uh, aims to do all of these things but the an artist picks a discipline right typically one maybe they maybe they're and the rare few who can actually do a bunch of different ones right but for the most part an artist sticks to a couple mm -hmm. right and that limitation is there i mean partially because it's what the artist is most passionate and called to doing but that that thing we're introducing those questions and those meanings into a context of something that we control if, if that makes sense so it's like okay i'm trying to communicate this thing and i'm and that thing is kind of wild this this thing that i'm dealing with is pretty wild and 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 untamable to a certain extent but i'm going to take that thing and i'm going to introduce it to this thing that I do, this, this music or this writing or this performance and, and which I know a little bit about how to do. And within that whole thing, something's going to come out of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, and this thing's really just giving me a, a mode of trying to communicate this unpredictable thing, but that unpredictable thing is also going to have an effect on what you're doing mm -hmm. right it's gonna it's it's gonna come in it's gonna leave its mark on on okay. your process I, I have a take on this so because i do i do think that there's a certain amount of of uh, unpredictability that is met by discovered opportunity so what i mean is you create a game for example like resident evil and uh you got this light and you're walking down a hallway and there's a dark corner the dark corner presents an opportunity. Whether you use that opportunity or not, 
is up to you creatively. So I walk around dark corner one, nothing. I walk around dark corner two, nothing. I walk around dark corner three, nothing. I start to get a little confident and easy. Dark corner four, boom, something happens. Yeah. You know what I mean? But that was opportunity and that's rhythm and pace. And you know, you could look to music as something that could inform For that sure. type of thing, right? And so For sure, yeah. it's, it's, it's in a sense, you as a creator, you know, because as a video game, you're going to have to, if you, especially if it's a linear story that you're following along, you're going to have to honor that story and you're going to, and you're going to have to create these assets. So you have to, you know, you, you can't just be like, oh, let's see what happens in the moment. But as you're experiencing your creation, you go, hey, this would be a good moment for this to happen because no one would expect it. That's what creativity is. It's, it's. There is a certain amount of you discover the opportunity to be creative. Mm -hmm. And then after you discovered it, then it starts to become a little more predictable and a little bit more, you know, the the, the math and the science of it. Because, you know, whereas, you know, there's a, I love this in um, uh, the game, uh, what's it called? The Last of Us. One of the thing, you know, drunk, drunk camp, drunk camp, uh, dr I forget his last name at the moment. Anyway. Neil, the guy who created it. <laughs> he does this thing where you and uh, Ellie, right? So you're playing as, uh, I forget the main guy's name. Do you remember it? Oh, uh, oh God. And I've watched the show too. They did such a good job on the show. Um, they did a great job. I'm so trying to, I'm trying to hear her you, saying his name. Yeah, see if you can remember it. I, I don't know, I'm blanking this moment, but yeah. Uh, Anyway, they help each other and it creates this very symbiotic relationship throughout the whole game. And then there's this moment in the game where you help her up and then you think that she's about to help you and then she doesn't. And then it's like, what? And experientially, you're like, wait, what, what's happening? Like, like, I'm expecting this to happen and it's a game dynamic and it's supposed to happen this way. And yeah. all of a sudden, pulls the rug out from under you and gives you this experience. And... He, he, one of the things that he did very well with that game was he played with expectations. So he yeah. built up expectation and then at the right moment, at the right time, pulled expectation away from you and it gives you an experience. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, that's a technique. Yes, that's a tool you can use, but use it mindfully. Use it with care. Use it with an idea that you're trying to create an emotional impact at the right time. Yeah. Not just for the sake of let me do this thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's there's lots of things like that where we can talk about these examples. But yeah. um, I know I know we're kind of getting to that point where we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. Um, but it's been fun, man. I yeah. mean, I've enjoyed this. Uh, you know, I'd love to kind of maybe have some practical things for people to walk away with. Um, I feel like we gave off a few. but Yeah, maybe there's some that, yeah, yeah kind of just sporadically are in there well let's let's yeah. let's talk about uh what we're drinking here and then we'll and then we'll see we'll see if we can yeah. condense this into some kind of uh into some we'll we'll limit ourselves into trying to communicate some concise thing sure so uh, i guess i i i provided the beer today and this is this one i'm positive we've had before but this is from stanley park brewing we're drinking their windstorm west coast pale ale can looks very wintry yeah yeah well you know windstorm is typically out this part of the world it's uh that's true fall and winter is when when we start getting those windstorms and stuff like that so 
Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's 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 a solid it's a solid beer. It is a solid yeah. beer. It's been good. I, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for the brew. No problem. Uh-huh. Well, wrap it up. Wrap it up. Let's let's do this. Um, okay. Well, let me go first. So, like, look, I would say that what I'm taking away from this is, well, I mean, okay. Before I go from what I'm taking away, I would say put care into your creativity and what you're creating and what you're doing with a sense of kind of what Evan kind of pointed out from that book, you know, is like, what's the experience I'm going for? That will help inform you what you're actually trying to create in the first place. And look at that as a problem to solve. I feel like this is so important. Creativity, when done well, in my opinion, is done to solve a problem. It's just, it's just, it's to, it's a solution. So I want you to feel this way. I don't know how I'm going to make you cry. I don't know how I'm going to make you laugh. I don't know how I'm going to make you scared. I don't know how I'm going to get you excited. Let me figure it out and find creative ways to solve that problem. And if you look at creativity that way, in my opinion, you'll begin to care. And it will inform your creativity and it will form in choices. And you won't just be using techniques to do something. You'll be using techniques on purpose. And like if I was to share anything with like, say, screenwriters out there, and that's a medium that I feel very confident in, I would say when you write, write with the intention to solve a problem in the beginning you don't know how to solve. That will get you to be creative because if you already know how to solve the problem, you're like, I oh, know, I'm just going to do this, this, and this, and this will get me. That's not interesting for you or anybody. Mm. You're coming mm-hmm. in too, first of all, too prideful, too arrogant. Take on something that you don't know how you're going to do. That you, that maybe you know 90% of how you're going to do, but that last 10%, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how yeah. I'm going to pull this off. That is going to get you into the unknown, which I feel like is such an important part mm. of this territory we're talking about. Because yeah. when, when game designers, to go back to that, when you were creating a cutting edge game, I feel like there was probably a good 10, 5, maybe 15, maybe even 25%. You didn't know how you were going to do when you took it on. Yeah. And that was the area where those games that really got our attention were like, what? They did that? Holy shit. Yeah. You know? Whereas I feel like um, the games that are a little bit boring, it's like, they didn't, this is all so safe. Yeah. They knew they were going to do it. They knew how to do it. They weren't trying to do anything. And then it lacks the care and creativity. That's yeah. that's how I would wrap this baby up. Nice. For me. Yeah. yeah. It's like kind of like knowing how you're going to approach something, but not necessarily how what's going to come out at the end of it. Right. Right. And, and it might even mean you have to end up completely approaching it in a different way, but sometimes that's all you got to go on. It's like, okay, we're going to try and do this and this is how we're going to approach it. We'll see what happens. You know, that, that see what happens is so important. And, you know, you brought in a word earlier in the podcast and it's, it's come up for me here at the end, which is, is play, right? That play thing. And, you know, I think that some of what I've seen in terms of, you know, talking about like video games and, and the industry and what's what's happened and also not just in video games uh, either, but there's this sense of this kind of everything's become so serious, right? Like it's just, okay, this game has got to be big and it's got to da 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 and it's got to do this and it's got to do that. And it's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, there's just this, 
there's just this kind of heaviness to it. And I think that that translates through to the people who are, who are taking it in, you know, and I mentioned before, one of my favorite eras was in that sort of PlayStation two first Xbox era of, of games where I just felt there was just so much, so much creativity, so much, uh, so many chances being taken and, and so much playfulness that was going on. And it's just like, let's just do something wild. Let's do something crazy. Let's mm-hmm. try this thing out. Let's put it out there to people. Like, let's try and make it, let's try and make it so kind of crazy. Like I think of, you know, one of the first games and I absolutely loved it. Um, for PlayStation 2 was one of the first ones that came out with it. It was made by Electronic Arts, right? <laughs> I feel sorry to if anyone who's listening is work works for them or whatever, but you know, I feel like Electronic Arts used to used to be interesting. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, in terms of what they used to do and yeah. and they released this game called SSX which um which I think it stood for like Super Snowboard Cross and it was like this arcade game of just like and it was it was such a cool game. I, I just absolutely loved it. It was like you it was this snowboard racing and you do tricks and you and but it was like colorful and bright and you just like go flying into the air and the music was like there was this whole sort of like there was this vibe, this feeling, and it's just like, and it made you feel like you were just like, you were such a badass on the slopes, mm. right? There was this, this feeling that was being communicated in every aspect of that game, visually to the sound, to how it played. Like it was, there was just something, there was something that was keeping that, that thing going. And, and that was part of Electronic Arts. They had this whole brand called Big. Mm. EA big it doesn't exist anymore and they used to use it for doing sports titles in a kind of crazy type of a way but that used to be so common you know and it was there was this feeling of again like yeah of course they want their games to sell of course they want to make money doing this thing but there was this sense of let's do something let's like let's do something wild let's do something crazy let's try something let's try something Mm -hmm. and i think that that playfulness um is such a part of a a part of that whole that whole thing and and that taking it too seriously becomes becomes a bad limit to what you're doing you're putting a different kind of limit that's not coming from the right place it doesn't it doesn't bring the creativity mm. so Get i guess it. i guess that's my last thoughts man thank you for listening in on our conversation today we hope you found something helpful that you can carry forward with you Head over to our website, wayoftheartist.com, for more free exclusive material and learn about the show. If you haven't already, please support us by subscribing to the show, sharing it with people you know, and keeping compassionate, creative conversation going.